So here we are, we're in Romans. Again, the title of our series um, is The Good News, Not Ashamed of the Good News. I don't know about you, but as I said last week, a lot of us need some good news right now. Um, we're in desperate need of good news. I don't know if you heard the news this week. Two hurricanes are gonna hit in the same time in the Gulf. Like first time ever or something crazy that we've been recording. Like, wow, there's an asteroid. Did you hear about that one? There's, there's an asteroid that's getting really close. And they say it's only like a 0.05% chance that it might hit Earth, but it's gonna be one of the closest that we've had in a long time. Like, it's gonna buzz us. Like NASA's been tracking it since 2018. They're like, yeah, it's close. It's not a huge one, though. It's only like the size of a bus. It's not like massive, you know, giant, but enough to cause some issues if possibly if it, if it hit. Like, this is all we hear in the news today. I'm like, you go through Facebook, you go through stuff, and then the good news you hear is stuff that you're like, I don't know that that's good news. Like, it's more selfish news. Like, look at me, look at what I did, look at, and it's like, well, that's not bad, but it's, what about all the hurting people that are out there, right? Like, and sometimes you can even feel ashamed about sharing good news because you're like, I know people are having it so bad. You know, we received some really bad news this week. A former youth in our church passed away this week of a blood clot. His parents' home. Like, guys, this, this world, we need some good news. And Paul writes the book of Romans, and he says that's why he's writing it. He says, I'm writing this book to you because you need some good news. But here's our problem. We don't know what is good. What do we do when news doesn't seem good, and it brings fear, guilt, shame, and half-truths? God has Paul write this good news to a culture just like ours. Rome was a culture very similar and eerily similar to our culture. And God wants us to be able to declare that we're not ashamed of his good news. And so as we jump into this this morning, here's what we're talking about. When I click this, you're going to be like, wait a minute, that's not good news. Not ashamed of, you ready? Wrath. Wrath is not good news, right? Well, according to Paul, it is. According to Paul, as you read through this, that part of the story of who we are is the reality of the wrath that we're a part of. And remember, last week, Paul said, are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, I'm not ashamed. We read that when we read the first passage in, in Romans. This is the theme of our book. He says... For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel means good news. It's the good news. It's God's story. The good news of God's story of what he was going to do since we messed up in the beginning. And it says, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. So in other words, to the Jews who were going to bring the Messiah was going to come through. God was going to use them special to bring his picture of reality, and then to everyone who wasn't Jewish. That's Greek. That's Gentile. And then in verse 17, it says, for in God's righteousness, for in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. That's what we just sang. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, faith is not like the righteous will live by whatever. That's not, whatever is not faith. Faith is something that, that we trust in, that we believe in, that there's evidence for. And listen, 
Christianity, there is probably no religion on the planet with more evidence than the Christian faith. There isn't. I would argue that's on blue in the face. I would ask you to go back and look. And so really, if you think about it, what we're getting ready to dive into in Romans 1, that if if this isn't real, if Christianity isn't real, if, if the message of the scriptures aren't real, then there's nothing that's real. Then it's all a joke. Because all the other religions teach the same thing. Christianity is the only religion that teaches something different than all the other belief systems and religions of the world. All the other belief systems and religions of the world teach works. You do enough good things, you stand before God, he grades on a curve, that's what you want in your calculus class, and you are better than average, and you get in, and those other guys flunk. That's what we're hoping for in every other religion. Christianity says God is righteous. He's perfect and holy, and he does not grade on a curve, and you will have to pay the penalty for the wrongs that you've committed. Someone has to pay for justice. We're in a fight in our country right now for that discussion. Everybody's crying out, we want justice. And their version of justice is to do more injustice to someone else. It's to burn down someone's business because that's just. No, that's still unjust. It's not just to take what's not yours, to destroy what's not yours. Well, it wasn't theirs in the first place. Well, it's not yours either. It's all God's. Let's ask him what he wants us to do with it. And so he says, for in it, God has revealed in the good news. So in the person of Jesus and what Jesus has done and his life, his death, his resurrection and his coming again, God says, I've done all this so you can see what is right. I've given you the Bible so you can see what right looks like. You can see what I look like as as God myself. And he says, the righteous will have to live by faith. There's a sense of belief, trust, faith. Why? Because either Christianity's right, or I can tell you this morning, if you're here and checking out Christianity for the first time, or you're coming online checking it out, either Christianity is right or it is the first religion you should dismiss on your seek to find out what's true and to find the God you want. It's either true or it's the first one you should dismiss. Because it is the most unlike any other religion. There is no other religion that gives the the idea of God being absolutely righteous and laying down his life for us and giving us grace. Paying the penalty for us. The rest of the gods, the rest of the belief systems say, we're God, you're gonna pay the penalty. Our God said, from the beginning I created you, I gave you free will, I knew you, were fa- you would fail, and I had a plan to pay the penalty on your behalf. But you have to make a decision. You have to make a faith decision about that good news. See, all religions agree that our world's messed up. All religions agree on that, that there are problems, and then they write books, they write laws, they write stories to try to address the problems. We can all agree on that. It's the solutions that we have problems with. And God says, I am the only solution. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ means, we talked about this, we talk about this all the time in our church, if you're new, just realize this, that when you see the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not like Mr. Jesus and last name. It's not like Mr. first and last name. That's not what Lord Jesus Christ means. It means he is the Lord. He is the great I am. He is Yahweh. Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's also the name Joshua, which we studied over the summer. 
So it's Yahweh who is Yahweh saves, who is the only Savior. That's what Christ means, Messiah. So even in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying he is the only way we're going to get out of this mess. He is the only Savior. He is the only one. He is the existent Yahweh from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end. He's it and there is no other. That's what our religion teaches. That's what Paul's writing to these Romans because these Romans are growing up. They're in a place that doesn't teach that. They teach the strength of Rome. Rome is powerful. And so Paul writes and he says, look, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith and the righteous will live by faith. In other words, if you want to be righteous, if you want to know that God looks at you and he sees you as a right person, he approves of you, then you have to place your faith in him not in yourself. That's what that means. We can't make ourselves right. God has to make us right because we're so messed up. We're so selfish. We're so broken. I need him to make me right. My wife can't make me right. My friends can't make, I need God himself to do that work. Do I need the help of the body of Christ? Absolutely, but it's only him that can actually do it. And so Paul opens up his letter like he does all of his letters in the New Testament and he says, grace and peace to you. He says, I want to give you good news. And then in verse 18, he makes a change. So it seems like, oh, positive message, grace, peace, love, this is awesome. And then he says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Most of us in Christianity, if we're really honest, we're ashamed of the full character of our God. We're ashamed of the gospel. See, to have good news means there's bad news and we don't want to talk about the bad news. See, we want like a grandpa God, right? Grandpa comes over, he feeds you all the Twinkies and candies and doesn't really discipline you too bad and then sends you home to mom and dad, right? They can deal with it. We don't want an actual good parent God who's trying to raise us to be adults and be responsible, hold us accountable. And that, that, That's not who we really want. We're, we're ashamed. We don't even, so many churches are so scared to talk about the whole breadth of God. They're even very popular churches that won't even teach the Old Testament anymore because they're afraid it's offensive. They're afraid that it's going to offend someone to teach the Old Testament laws and what's true. And I'm like, you're missing the whole picture and heart of who God is. And Paul's writing and he writes this and he says, we suppress the truth. People who don't admit that God is right are always coming up with ways to suppress that God is right. If you don't want to admit that God's right, you find ways to say God's not right. That's what it means. We suppress the truth. We know what's true, but we do everything we can to suppress it because here's the deal. I don't want to have to deal with myself. I just want to kind of hide it. You know the word hypocrite means hypocritos? It's, it's Greek. It means wearing a mask. Welcome all you hypocrites. <laughs> all you mask wearers. 
Because what it would mean is in theater they would put on a mask and it was a one-man show and then he'd pick up another mask and become another character. And so they used the word hypocritos. It was the idea of being a hypocrite. I'm never the same person. I'm always adapting and changing so I can get what I want, so I can please the audience, so I can kind of make things work. And can I just tell you, that's how our world works. Our God doesn't. Our God just tells us the truth. He has Paul write the truth and say, it's good news that you can know that there is wrath. Listen, some people struggle with, I don't know if I can believe in a God that has wrath. Then what do you do with the world you live in? Do you just not believe in your world? Because guess what? There's two hurricanes. There's an asteroid. There's a pandemic. You're going to die. You're going to get sick. You might get a blood clot and just pass away tomorrow at the age of 21, which is what happened to someone in our youth group, former youth. We are in a world that declares we're in trouble. Now, does that mean we don't have fun? Does that mean we don't enjoy life? Absolutely not. We're the ones that are supposed to give the message of the good news to a world that's in trouble. But if you don't start with the fact that we're in trouble, that we're under wrath, then that's a problem. See, God says he wants to show us who he is. He wants us to seek him so that we'll find him. And the ultimate act of God's display was what Jesus said and did. See, Jesus believed this. Jesus believed that God's wrath had to be poured out on sin. That's why he went to the cross. He didn't look at his father and say, come on, dad, it's not that big a deal. Like, like I can, it's, it's fine. He went to the cross because he recognized that someone had to pay the debt. Someone had to pay the price for our mistakes. That's why Jesus did what he did. He took the wrath of God to make us right with God. And when you reject that, when you reject Christ, when you reject his lordship and authority in your life, what you're doing is suppressing and you're suppressing the goodness and the good news of God and you're going to experience his wrath. Let me tell you, this is how if you want to experience God's wrath, it's real simple. This is what God has to do. And I've said this multiple times in our church. For for you to experience God's wrath, here's all he has to do to your life. I'm done. See, God doesn't have to send things. Our world's already being destroyed. It's falling apart. The sun's going to burn out. The universe is going to, our, our universe will collide into another universe at some point. All these things scientists say are going to happen. All God has to do to bring his wrath is not like, I'm going to get you. All he has to do is say, I'm going to turn you over to yourself. Have the life you want. Have the boy, the, the girl you want. Have the money you want. Have the job you want. Go ahead. And one day we'll wake up like the prodigal son feeding pods to pigs and go, what am I doing? What am I doing? See, we think that God, like we read that word wrath and, oh, he's preaching about it. God, no, God is not up in heaven like sending zingers. All God has to do to make it bad for you or to me is to take his hand off. Listen, if I want to make it bad for my kids, all I have to do is take away my blessing. Kick them out of the house, no bed, no food, no, no space. Have a nice life. I don't have to hurt them. I don't have to beat them. I don't have to shoot at them. I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is say I'm done with you and get, you're out of my life. And that, the feeling of that wrath, of that separation, is supposed to draw us to him. Look at what John 3 says. John 3, 
Very familiar passage. 3.16 says, For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through Jesus. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Always amazing to me that we love to share John 3.16 but we do not like to share the following verses. Because see, the following verses, but this is Jesus speaking, and he's backing up what Paul's saying. He's saying, the reason you need me to save you, the reason I love you so much is because you're in so much trouble. See, you're already condemned. That's what we won't admit. Our world can't stand to say, I'm already condemned. I'm already in trouble. No, we say, well, I haven't done anything that bad to be condemned. The message of the Bible and Christianity is, all of us, every one of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in trouble if God doesn't intervene. And he did through his son. And he says, so he says perish. Well, that means he believes will not perish. That means the default is that we are going to perish. Duh, we're gonna perish. The world's gonna perish. You're gonna perish. They're gonna put you in a casket or they're gonna stick you in a crematorium and you're gonna become ash. I know that's depressing. It's just true, right? We just don't want to think about it. No, don't tell me that. No, that's the truth. Now, order your life accordingly to what you know is true. And then he says, um, oh, good. Don't, he says, wait, if not condemned, then, then why do we need to be saved? Look, if we're not condemned, then why did Jesus have to die? You see, we don't accept the defaults of God. Jesus' words resonate. He says, God so loved the world. The good news is that you are in a mess and I've sent my son. And that might be hard for you to embrace. It might be hard. You're a freshman, you're here, you're, something great's happening in your life and I've got life ahead of me and I don't want to hear anything negative and there's too much negative in the world. I'm not telling you anything negative. I'm telling you what's true and then giving you the positive, which is God himself. There's nothing more glorious, wonderful, joy-filled, awesome than God himself. There's no relationship that will fill what only God can fulfill in your life. Not a one. That's how awesome our God is. It goes on, it says this in Romans. He goes on, he says this in verse 20. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, have been seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Look at this. As a result, people, that's you and I, are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Can I, can I just ask you, is our thinking nonsense right now? I mean, think about it. You're all sitting here with a mask. If I put a table out, and we had food, and I called myself a business, you'd all be able to sit together without a mask on, two feet apart. Seems like nonsense. That makes no sense. Does corona, like, discriminate on, you know, if you have food or not? Oh, there's food. I'm not, I'm not going to contaminate anyone. I, I'm leaving now. The virus goes away when food's on the table. Like, we don't know what we're doing. And God's trying to get our attention to say, you're right, you don't. But are you prepared for the fact of what's coming? You're going to get sick and die someday. Something's going to happen to you. Like only 10% of people die suddenly. 
Did you know that? Only 10% of people like die of like an instant death. Like they die in their sleep or they're taken quickly. The rest of the 90% like get old and suffer and struggle and like that's the normal. 90% of you. How encouraging. No, it, it's just the truth. So what do I do about that? How do I live my life? And he says, you can know that God is real. You can know that he's revealing himself, his invisible attributes. What are his invisible attributes? Love. Love is an invisible attribute. Grace. How do you measure that? Love, joy. How do you measure joy? I've seen people weep in joy, and I've seen people bouncing off the walls in joy. So which is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, God's invisible attributes. And it says, we're without excuse. Can I just tell you? We're without excuse. And here's why. See, Paul knew and God knew what we would say when we would say, wait, no, I got an excuse. Well, this is why I had to do that, or this is why this happened, or this is what happened in my past, and now this is what I define myself by, and, and this is what I want. And we make all these excuses. To, we say, basically, I don't care what's true. I just don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't care what's true. I just don't want to feel this. And when you go to that place, you're saying, God, I don't want to hear it. You're looking at him and saying, now you're thinking the rest of your life and how you order things is going to become real nonsense. Right? And here's how I know it becomes nonsense. Look at it. It goes on. It says this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Idolatry. We love idols. Don't believe me? How much shopping have you done to make yourself feel better during this pandemic? Come on. You didn't click on anything that you didn't really need. You just wanted to feel, feel a little good about life's still good. Click. Well, that's not idolatry. Really. You're asking others to make that product, to deliver it to you, to do all that stuff in the middle of a pandemic where they're risking their life so you can have a new phone case. I'm not saying that's evil or wrong. I'm just saying we have to deal with our heart. We have to deal when we look at this and say we claim to be wise. We go, well, I've got it figured out, and, and you're telling me this, and I know what God's word says, and I know he's revealed all this, but I, I've got a better plan. I've got this figured out. This is what I'm going to do. It's like you're, you're, you're making an exchange, and that's what we always do. We make an exchange. Listen, anytime you're making deals with God, you're making an exchange with God, you are not following God, not the God of Christianity. Our God makes no exchanges. He demands worship. He demands surrender. What he does is he pays the price for our sin, and he asks us then to respond to him in Gratitude. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. What do you hope for? You really hope to want to see God one day, to be out of this life and to be with him? Do you hope to live this life well so that, so that you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you hope to wake up tomorrow morning and, and meet with him and get to know God better? And like, That's what he says. And then he says, 
It's what's hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. The invisible attributes. Can I just tell you, if you do some study of science and history, it's always amazing to me Whenever they got to a point in history where they were like, we're going to now know everything. We're going to discover. We've discovered so much. We're right on the precipice of, of, of knowing everything. And then they open up to a whole new world. For example, that happened kind of at the end of the 18th century. And then all of a sudden they found things like germ theory and space and quirks and quantum mechanics. And all of a sudden there were these other dimensions and universes that they all went, Oh, we're not even close. We're actually further away than we've ever been from knowing everything. Because God is still pouring out and showing people, I'm eternal. I know it all. I'm still working. Look at Romans. It goes on. It says, therefore, because they chose to do this, they chose to go after idols. Therefore, God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts, to sexual impurity. So their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God. There's the exchange again. For a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Like Paul says, one of the reasons, one of the things that you can see when you've finally gone to I want what I want is it will, your sex life will be a good indicator of how you worship God. Is God the Lord of your sex life or is sex the Lord of your life? I have the right to feel. I have the right to be happy. I have the right to, how dare he keep me single? How dare, I'll do what I want to do. Or do you give God authority over your body? God, my body is yours. You paid for it. I'm, I'm yours. You tell me what to do with my body. I don't tell my body what to do with my body. I want to know what you say is the right thing to do. And I don't want to use anyone else. So, so tell me what to do as it relates to other people. Because I, I want to honor you and I want them to see you. I don't want them to see me. I don't want them to want me. I want them to want you. So whenever a culture gets to like where we're at sexually, it's not like God is cursing. It's not like, I'll get you. He's just going, okay, fine, have it. Have it, have it. Go after it, fine. I'm... And then it's just nothing but us using one another and disease and problems and curses happening. We've been on an ad campaign for decades to stop the spread of AIDS, to use a condom. And the highest rate of HIV infection is still 18 to 26-year-olds. And now we're telling them to wear a mask. It's not going to work. We've been trying to get them to wear something for 30 years. Has it worked? Versus saying, what does God say to do? I, I know that's blunt. I'm just being, what, look, this is what God says in his word. And if we just pause and, and not make excuses, but, but let him speak to us, this is what he says. And then it says, this is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. Uh oh, yeah, there's. For even their females exchanged natural. Oh, did I go too far? Sorry. My, I'm getting clicker crazy here. Here we go. Uh oh. Okay, this is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another, 
Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be rude. Is there any doubt what Paul's talking about here? We, you, he says, look, you can see how far you've gone. You can see how degraded the culture is because what people start doing is they start leaving what is the natural, revealed, created plan of God for procreation and the earth and creating life just so they can have what they want and you can't tell me otherwise. And that's, not God, that's just God saying, fine, have what you want, have what you want, have what you want and see how it destroys you. I could go into some really graphic details. There aren't kids in the room right now, little kids. I'm not going to go into a lot of them. But when you start looking at things like the rate of disease, anal cancer, and the problems that come along with doing sex unlike God asks you to do it, and again, it's not God saying, I'm going to get you. It's not like God sent HIV. HIV's always been here. It's just the more we ignore it and do what we want, guess what? We spread more of it. It's not rocket science. Versus saying, yeah, I recognize there are diseases and I can help protect my fellow man and woman and love them well. I can, doesn't mean I have to live in fear. It doesn't mean, but he looks and he, they leave unnatural relations. I read a statistic today that 52% of people right now in the United States, across the board, 52% of people, that's old to 18 or whatever the cutoff was of adults, have no desire to be married. Zero. No thought, no desire, don't want it, never. Is it wrong to be single? Absolutely not. God calls people, he called Paul to be single, who's writing this book. It's not wrong to want to be single. It's not wrong to choose to be single for godly reasons. But to just throw off what God said is good for a man and woman, it's good for a man and woman to, to leave their father and mother and cleave to one another to, to create a new unit and, and glorify me. And when they, when they have sex, it's actually worship. When two people are married you, under God and under his covenant, you realize that the sexual act is actually an act of worship. Probably nobody's ever told you that. It's an act of worship. It's two people giving themselves before their God saying, here's me, all of me. <laughs> the other person saying, yep, there's you. <laughs> here's me, all of me. I think I could find better, but I'll take you because that's what God gave me. Like, it's an act of submission. It's like by faith, I, I, I take you and, you and we keep choosing one another because God chose us. It's beautiful. And yet, we go down this road where we just look at God and we ignore him. And they go on, and this is where it always leads. He says, and because, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. In other words, the more you reject God, the more you say no to God, the more he says, fine. I'm still here whenever you want to come back. I'm still here, I still love you, but whenever you want to come back, I'm here. But I'll let you go. Because I, I, I got to show you that you're in a place of wrath. You're in a place that's dangerous if you don't walk with me. And it's going to be dangerous for your friends and for your 
children and the people after you if they don't trust me. It's, it's not rocket science. He's just laying it out. He's saying, he just delivers us over. He's not like, I'm going to get you. He's just like, okay, here you go. Have at it. He goes on and says this. They are filled with all unrighteousness. And here's what their lives look like. Evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they knew full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve, deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Can I just say that's what we're seeing happen right now in our country? We're seeing evil and malice and gossips and slandering and, I mean, arrogant, pride, just, and this, we're seeing it in the church, not outside the church. I'm not talking about the lost world. I'm talking about the church itself. And he goes, they don't listen. And then they applaud others. Yeah, I'm going to post that. That's, why, that's a zinger. I'm going to get people with it. Like, pause. What is God's heart? He goes on and he says this, chapter 2, Therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. See, he knows that when you read that list that we read earlier, that we would kind of look and go, well, those people. And then he says, hold on. Any of you who judges is without excuse, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think anyone of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that you'll escape God's judgment? Paul's like, you better do a gut check. You better check your own heart. And see, here's one of the biggest problems of why we're ashamed of the good news. Because we're ashamed of our own sin. And instead of taking our sin to God and saying, God, you have control of my life. I surrender to you. Help me to know what to do. Because of our shame, we begin to move away from people. We begin to hide out. We try to escape from God. And what we're doing is actually running towards the wrath and judgment of God. Instead of running to him because you know he'll forgive you. So when you mess up, you're like, God, I'm running to you. I know I have, please forgive me. Put your wrath on your son, not on me. Jesus, thank you for taking the wrath and punishment I deserve. And I'll do whatever you say. I'm just grateful that you saved me. That's the Christian message. He goes on and he says, in John 3, John 3, 16, this was the first part, but look at the latter part of John 3. He says this, this then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. In other words, Jesus says, he's called himself the light of the world. He said, you can come to me and I'll show you the light that you need. I'll walk with you. I'll show you the path. Romans says again in verse 4, chapter 2, or do you despise the riches of his kindness? Restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He looks and he says, why do you despise 
the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience. Why do you take those for granted? Like, like God is patient with me, not because I'm so great. He's patient with me because he knows that every time I repent, it's another story I get to tell another person of the good news of my God who forgives Every time I choose not to sin but to follow him, it's another opportunity for me to tell the good news of a God that showed me his kindness and his restraint and his patience with me. Every time, it gives me an opportunity, but if I harden my heart, I don't care what you have to say. If I harden my heart, God's like, then have what you want, and it'll poison you. And he says, look, you're... You're storing up wrath. And here's the deal. There are some people who will be saved. James says, or Jude says, some will be saved. They'll be snatched out of the fire at the last minute. There are those that have actually trusted Christ by faith, that have lived terrible lives, that, that unrighteous lives, and they have stored up a ton of wrath. And when they come before the judgment seat of Christ at the end of their life, he's going to look at them and be like, Here's all the wrath I should dump on you, but I'll take it on myself. But there's also those that think they're saved. They think they know Christ. They think they have a relationship with God. They think they're good with God. And they're gonna come to the end and Jesus is gonna say, the wrath's on you because you never surrendered to me. And Paul puts this scary proposition out there to say you don't wanna be one of those people that comes to the end like I hope I get in. You don't have to live like that. You can be 100% sure that you will be with God, that he will save you, 100%. I am 100% sure that God will save me, not because I'm any better than you or good, but because of who he is and because I know his kindness, his restraint, and his patience with me. He loves me. He died for me. 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, about the times and seasons, That means the end of time, which everybody's talking about right now. Oh no, two more hurricanes, an asteroid, the world's going to end. Yeah, the world's going to end, I promise. I promise the world's going to end, absolutely certain. Something's going to happen, it's going to get us, right? I don't know what it is. And the world may not end for all of us today, but it might end for you, I don't know. He goes on, he says, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. You have enough information For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jump to verse nine. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Read that again. What's it say? God did not appoint us to wrath. His goal was not like, I'm gonna get all these humans. I'm gonna get them. He didn't appoint us to wrath. He appointed us to have a relationship with him and we spit in his face. And the only response he has to that is, to bring wrath, his judgment, so that we might then repent and say, sorry. And he goes on and he says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. In other words, encourage one another to believe these things. Let me ask you this morning. The truth that we look at this morning is that God's wrath is being revealed. From heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth. And what is known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Let me ask you, have you trusted Christ? 
As we wrap up, let me give you a quick story. For those of you who've been here, you know this story. For those of you who haven't, you don't. I was raised in church. I missed five Sundays my whole life. The church was two doors down from my house. My mom was the organist. My dad was the head usher. The pastor lived two doors down from us. If there were six feet of snow, I got to shovel a path for the five of us to have church. I didn't miss church, period, okay? I grew up thinking that it was about my works. I walked the aisle three times, once in junior high, twice in high school, trying to like, God, I wanna know you. I, want, I know my life isn't right. And I, I walked forward because they had an altar call and I went forward and everybody clapped for me and we're just so glad you're, you're here and you're making this decision. And I went away going, what decision did I make? I just walked, you guys didn't, what am I doing? No one discipled me. No one told me what I was trying to go after. And it wasn't until my freshman year of college after one of my best friends killed himself our senior year of high school that I finally said, fine, I'm just gonna do what I want in life. And then I did that, and I came to college, and by October of my freshman year, I was in misery. And I fell in my dorm room. My freshman year, I fell down on my face in my dorm room, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, if you exist, please help me. The phone rings 30 minutes later. It's a student. His name was Dave Scott. Dave is a police officer in Shelbyville, Indiana. You can go visit him. He's a great guy. He also sells honey, great honey. He raises bees. Dave calls me and says, Matt, you filled out some questionnaire when you were on campus and we're following that up. It said you might want to talk to someone about it. spiritual things. And I'm like, yes, right now. That's what I told him. And he like freaked out because you never get that response, right? Like now, can you come to my room now? He's like, uh, no, I live off campus. I, I, I got class. I, I said, okay, tomorrow noon. He's like, oh, okay, click. And I'm like, God's real. Like it, and then he calls back, ring, ring, ring. I got class tomorrow at noon. Can we reschedule for two? <laughs> serious. True story. He comes the next day, he, and he just walks me through this simple message that there's a God who loves you, but there's a problem. You're a sinner, and God has to judge sin. And there's wrath, but he sent his son to die for you, and he loves you. And Jesus will take that punishment, and then he will give you life. But you have to make a decision to not live by works anymore, but live by faith, to trust him to come into your life and accept his grace, his cleansing, his free gift of salvation. And when that happens, it will change you. And that's what I did my freshman year in the lobby of my dorm in front of people, and I didn't care. And then I started sharing Jesus with everybody. I was so excited. The problem was I was an inch deep and a mile wide, and God began to deal with the idols of my heart. I almost died at the end of my freshman year with a staph infection and God put me in a hospital bed and I wrestled with him and I just know the whole time I'm like, God, what do you want from me? And he goes, I want your life. How much more do I have to do to show you that I love you and I want you to be with me? I want you to walk with me. I want you to make me known. Do I have to kill you? <laughs> I said, I'm done. I surrender. Can I just tell you, you don't have to have that story. You can have a better story. You can have the story of like, man, you were really hard-hearted. It took a lot to get you to repent. It didn't take much for me. I really love God. I think he's awesome. And I just said, God, I'm yours. Pretty simple. But see, we don't like those testimonies. But those are the miracle testimonies. People like yourselves are just like, I'm just going to surrender. I'm going to give him a chance. I'm going to let him come into my life. And I'm going to get plugged in and be discipled and be built into and if you make that decision, I promise you, at the end of four years, your life will look a lot different than most college students.
The opportunities God will give you will blow your mind over the next four years to glorify him and make him known and make a difference. It won't be about the idol of an education, the idol of a career, the idol of a spouse. It'll be about the God of the universe using you in this city, on this campus for the next four years to change maybe a little part of the world for his glory. But the question is, the opportunity is your choice. It's my choice. Will we trust him? Will we recognize that there are people under wrath who need good news? And this is good news. And that we should not be ashamed of it, but we should proclaim it, especially at a time like this, when we're watching people's lives be shredded by these choices. If you're in that place this morning, I'm going to pray. And if you have not prayed to receive Christ, I pray that you do what I did in the lobby of my dorm. You just say, God, this is weird. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm diving in. I want you. I'm done following my way. And if you make that decision, make sure somebody knows. Like Dave knew I made that decision, so he followed up with me. He made sure I understood what I was doing, unlike the other churches. And so we want to know if you make that decision in a moment. And for those of you who are Christians, can I just tell you this? Are you walking with God? Are you ready for the thousands of people that are coming here that need to hear good news? Are you willing to not have your way and but to have God's right way? Are you willing to surrender your feelings and opinions and facts and quit suppressing the truth and say, okay, I'm embracing the truth, all the truth? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this book that challenges us, that Paul wrote to people very similar to us. Father, this morning, if there's someone here who, who's not made that decision to surrender to you, I pray they would do it. And if they're not ready to make that decision, I pray that they wouldn't take long. They would seek you. They would seek out these truths to see if what I'm saying is right. Make sure we're not some crazy cult asking them to do some crazy thing. I, I pray they would really search the scriptures and search the truth of the faith that you give. So Father, I pray that if anyone here has not prayed that prayer, they'd pray this morning. they just ask you to come in to forgive you to have, them, have you forgive them and to make them who you want them to be. For those of us who are believers, I pray that we would repent. We'd turn from some of the things and directions we'd go, we've been going and, and we'd give you permission to speak into those so that you could show us the right way to turn and the right direction to go. Father, let us never doubt your good news and your love and your grace. We pray in your name, amen. One of the things that we've done over the last several weeks is to have a time of sharing. And um, I would encourage you to be praying for the Hoffman Bridal family. Um, Mark and Jill were members of our church. They were here. Mark was a, a pastor and came here for a little while. And, um, their son, John, is the one that has passed away. And, uh, they're hurting. They're really hurting. And uh, there's a lot of history and pain there, too from the way that John was hurt by the church, by some leaders in the church. It was really ugly. Um, not our church, sorry, thank you. But another body of Christ. And so um, be in prayer for them. Be in prayer for students that are here. Welcome. Any other praises or prayer requests that you guys want to share?
Simple praise for us. My daughter finished her last day caring for the two kids she's been caring for all summer who lost their mom last November. Um, and uh, she was driving yesterday and one of the kids said, um, Malia, I have Jesus in my heart. These kids aren't raised in church. Their dad doesn't know the Lord. And it was just one of those moments where she just broke down. She cried because she's leaving, going back to college. She's found another nanny to help and help that family. But, um, you know, it's, it's amazing the seeds you can plant in people's lives. And so I praise the Lord for that, for what Malia's been able to do in their, those kids and the love on them. It's pretty powerful. Again, you can always go online. Online, there's a prayer request form. You can put praise as a prayer request there. We encourage you to do that confidentially. Uh, the other thing you can do, just so you know, um, is we would like to know that you're here. Register your visit so we can be in contact with you. That's also on the website. We're not doing a form because of all the COVID stuff and what we're trying to honor the city, let us use this building. And so if you could do that online to let us know. We won't spam you. We're not one of those churches that sends out email after email. That's not us. Um, but we do want to have your information. And if you made a decision today to want to follow, recommit your life or commit your life to Christ, we want to follow up with you. We want to help you. There are people in our church, other students that would love to meet with you, sit down with you, encourage you. Um, and we've had students that have walked with Christ through college that would love to encourage you and tell you how they did that, how they walked with the Lord and, and honored him. And so um, if we can serve you in those ways, man, let, let, us, let us do that. Uh, let me pray for us and then Jason will close. Father, thank you again for the praises of who you are, for your good news, and we, we thank you that you are good. And Lord, in that goodness, it means you're just because you don't let things slide, and, and yet you've provided a way for the justice to be carried out, that you don't do anything to anybody you aren't willing to take. And wow, what, a, what an amazing God you are. And so we praise you, we thank you, we pray for these prayer requests, those that are hurting, those that are scared, those that are sick, those that they're struggling. Father, would you, would you touch them? Would you allow us to be the hands and feet of you to, to minister to people? To those that can't join us, that are at home and tuning in, would you show them your love and your grace and your faithfulness? And Father, we, we pray that you would deliver us from evil. Your kingdom is coming, and so we pray that the evil that we experience, this pandemic, that it would pass. But in the meantime, we pray that you would use it for your glory to bring people to soften their hearts to come to know you. And may it start with us, we pray. 